Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge and stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We are broadcasting from Redfern right now. Redfern is the birthplace of black theater in this country, and it's a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You are listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of color, speaking with people of color about the ways we value and understand our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. This week marks the beginning of Ramadan, a holy month for the global Muslim community. You might know it as a time of fasting and prayer, but for many, it's also a time of deep reflection and being able to gather with your community and ask deeper questions about faith and spirituality. It's a time as well, unfortunately, where Islamophobia has continued to increase in so-called Australia. Over the last years, Ramadan has occurred over lockdowns that have kept many communities apart whilst also navigating the xenophobia and discrimination that prevailed over the pandemic. But today on the show, we wanted to do something a little special this week and bring you a queer Muslim Ramadan. Today, we honour the messiness and complexity this time can hold. And we just want to center the mixed feelings this time can bring, regardless of your understanding of Islam or queerness. And we're so privileged to be joined by Muhammad Awad, a poet, writer, artist, mental health advocate. And we're going to hear about the queer Arab ancestry and what Ramadan means to him. Joined on the line by Mohammed Awad, poet, artist, writer, mental health advocate. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, this month marks the beginning of Ramadan for Muslim communities across cultures and locations. What does this time mean for you? Um, Ramadan is always and has always been a time of much love and community and gathering and also stress because you have to cook a banquet essentially if you're doing Ramadan properly that is um so it's a lovely lovely time um generally in, in every year you stand in Muslim family uh you get to meet up with all the family that you have tension with because you have to meet up with them because Islamically that is your duty to um uh to improve your kinship. And so it leads to some really fun, exciting, dramatic, but ultimately wholesome moments. I think it's Ramadan is, Ramadan tends to be the prep before Eid. Eid is our big like 
uh, essentially our Muslim Christmas, if you will, um, but our, our own celebration at the end of Ramadan. And so I always see Ramadan as the 30 day prep before you get to celebrate. And so you get to do it while you're hungry and starving. And um, if you can't get along when that's happening, then you'll be able to get along when there's plenty of food around at the end of the day. That's kind of how I view it. Um, but I think for a lot of queer Muslims, um, it can be a bit of a hard time sometimes because you can have to be in spaces with family who don't accept you, or family that um, uh, that you're not out to yet and stuff like that. Um, and if you're very, very out Muslim, you know, there are plenty of queer Muslims who are out and have amazing relationships with their families, extended and otherwise. Um, me personally, I feel like after the, the gear I got, the less invitations I get during Ramadan from like my blood family, for instance. But I think there's uh, a lot of queer family that comes together, queer Muslim family that comes together. And we have like uh, endless, endless opportunities to eat together and, and break up fast. And so um, the queer Muslim community in and of itself is quite impressive in what it can uh, muster and what it can create on its own. Talking on that as well, what are or are there ways that you have reframed your faith and cultivated ritual to hold your queerness? Yeah, um, I think Islam has always had um, capacity and a space for queer Muslims uh, since the beginning of Islam. I believe that well and truly, um, but I have had to reframe it for myself to, to know what that looked like for me. Mm. Um, one thing was always knowing that, you know, my religion, my faith is an independent individual experience that I have with God. And that's like important to me in that sense. Um, but um, in the context of Ramadan, in the context of Eid and stuff like that, um, one of the great Muslim values is in, um, is in caring and giving back to community um, in charity. And, it, and I always felt like um, when you cook food for community, that was an act of community service, and that was an act of uh, faith and an act of worship. You know, all these things that we do, um, that, you know, uh, good deeds are acts of worship. So um, it really framed a lot of what I did and what I do as a Muslim as being very conscious of all the good, quote-unquote, good things that you do. Um, I do them for myself, and I do them for my community, and I do them for God, and I think that's kind of the, the through line for me. Um, when I was much younger, I had a really toxic relationship with that, where I thought I had to make up for being gay. If being gay is the big sin, right, <laughs> then um, if I do all these little good things along the way, then God will cancel out all the bad deeds, and I'll make it to heaven, you know? Um, and while that's a really bad and toxic precedent, precedent to like set for yourself, um, ultimately I was able to reshape that and reframe that to knowing that um, I think God cares about whether you're a good Muslim, not whether you're queer or not queer, and whether you're a good person. And so that's what I strive to be in my religion and in my faith, and that's what I I strive for other queer Muslims to also acknowledge. Um, yeah. I also grew up um, thinking that I was 
like being punished for being gay and then trying to yeah compensate with other good things like growing up um staunch catholic um but also resonate with your idea of you know um a connection with yourself a connection um with community and um a connection um with god or you know or with spirituality um but also seeing that they're all kind of connected you know they all kind of re- they, they all lean in each other and they all inform each other is that something that you've kind of come to terms with as well or you know ex- explored as well yeah no, me and god are tight like <laughs> me and god had beef in the past but we've since we've put out our distracts we've met up halfway <laughs> i'm gonna hell for that actually <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. It, there is a connection to all of that. Um, um, it's it's in knowing Islam is a very um, communal religion, um, and uh, I always say that you have to find who you are within your religion first. Find who you are within your community, and find who you are with God, and know kind of what your role is. And my my role has I found to be. Uh, being a mental health uh, support, being an advocate for other queer Muslims, it's kind of been my my dream job. Um, being a very very mentally unwell kid, um, and adult, and president, <laughs> um, but wanting and needing and looking for that support, not being able to access it because it didn't exist at that time. Being able to be part of a service like the Muslim Peers Project that we're running now, to be able to give that back. To me, that feels like the most Muslim thing I can do. Um, you know, speaking of roles, um, on top of your um, incredible work in the mental health sphere, you are also a poet and an artist. Can you tell us a bit how those practices come together or inform each other? Um, yeah. So I am a poet, playwright, and director. I, <laughs> at 11, when I didn't have any support services in place for anyone that I could speak to about being queer, uh, I had my poetry. And I was reflecting the other day, I'm 22 now, and I started writing poetry at 11, so for half my life now, poetry has been this outlet for expressing how my inner world is existing, how my mental state is. It's a way of checking with myself. It's a way to um, uh, to process grief and trauma and loss um, and pain. It's been... It's been my lifesaver. I think if I didn't have poetry, if I couldn't write poetry, or I didn't know, didn't have that way of speaking, I genuinely don't know if I would be alive today. I don't mean that with any kind of theatrics to it. Um, well and truly, it's a it's been life saving. So poetry has been alive for that long. Halfway through, somewhere along the line, I got into writing stories and writing plays. And that's kind of, you know, my next mission is while I keep writing poetry and perform poetry all the time, um, I think the world is ready and our community is ready to hear our stories. The stories of queer Muslims that have existed for over a thousand years since the beginning of Islam. I'd like to shed light on that and tell those stories. And so um, there's that sense of relief, there's that sense of um, catharsis when you create something that's 
my experience or that's my story and that's seeing myself representing my own work I'm like I did that and it was all right like it was good like yeah at the end of the day I like uh um I think creative therapies are one of the most underutilized ways for um processing again grief trauma stress or anything that we might experience so um poetry kept me alive for a while playwriting pushed me all the way directing also did that as well directing was more stressed actually directing i'm gonna say this right now directing doesn't improve your mental health in any way shape or form it only adds stress it doesn't do anything else but the other ones were great <laughs> um and you, so you founded the Muslim Peers Project, which is a mental health service, um, a mental health service, art-based therapy, community mentoring and events. How did this, you have kind of spoken about the things that led you here, but what was those kind of initial triggers, I guess, that really brought this to fruition and um, how it came to be? Uh, the need came from the fact that through Out Loud doing this sort of community outreach, they do a lot of community outreach and activities and programs there was this like growing uh, number of kids who were coming out and becoming homeless. Uh, and many of them were Muslim, most of them were Muslim in Western Sydney. And they were like, well, they, while they were supporting all these kids, they're like, there needs to be something, a service tailored to supporting these kids specifically. And so the Muslim Peers Project now exists to support uh, anyone from 14 to 25 who's uh, queer Muslim or Muslim and questioning and, you know, going through that journey of queer identity. Um, and we work with people one-to-one -one over the phone, um, via Zoom or one-to-one -one in person. Um, we do the mentoring, we have the groups that we run. But the most important work that we do is with kids in schools. I've said this before in, in other settings, but uh, when you're of any minority group that experiences discrimination, whether it's race or uh, religion or culture or anything, when you experience an act of racism or discrimination, you experience it normally as a, as a family unit. You experience it in your community, your whole, your whole community or your whole family goes through it, right? But the experience of being queer uh, is a individual experience and it can be quite an isolating experience. Um, if I come home and tell my mom that, you know, someone called me a terrorist today at school, she can be like, okay, this is wrong and this is, and knows how to comfort me and knows what to do from that point onwards, right? If I say someone called me a faggot, that is terrifying, that is scary, that is why, like, why did they think that? And, and it's, it's, it, there's not a lot of education and support for our community in knowing how to support young queer Muslim kids, right? So what happens is the bigger issue is that when you're young, you can't just roll up to the queer Muslim mental health service down the road. <laughs> you can't just pull up. You can't just like be like, oh, hey, sorry, mom, I can't come to soccer today. I've got to speak to the queer Muslim counselor about my queer identity that I'm exploring, right? It's um, much more discreet and much more private. So. And being able to go to these schools, we're able to work with these kids, you know, with the support of the counselors as well, to be able to support them in whatever they're going through, in a way that's private, in a way that's um, supportive, in a way that's safe, in a way that also doesn't expose them or out them. Uh, and that containing and supporting these kids through that journey until they're able to become more independent and make those choices for themselves, that is, you know, the core of the work that we do.
Well, often, often in white and colonial culture, it is assumed that communities of colour are homophobic, are more homophobic, and assumptions are made that Islam in particular um, denies queerness and transness. And you've spoken about your queer Muslim and queer Arab ancestors. Can you share more about how you find these connections? Yeah, for sure. Over time, because of patriarchy and because of culture, people, particularly men, were able to put their own perspectives and their own agendas on holy texts. That is not specific to Islam at all. That is, that is you know, cross-cultural, cross-religious. That is, you know, that's worldwide, baby. So um, that's very much the case. And that's very much the first, the first breakthrough in myself understanding my queer Muslim identity was being like, oh my God, these are the perspectives of men, not the perspective of God or, or a deity or anyone that I'm worshiping. My God has never said this, for instance, you know? Um, so that's the first thing in understanding that, okay, what I was taught about Islam was very specific. And then the broader than that as well was that I was taught a very specific version of Islam. I always say that being queer made me a better Muslim because I was able to explore my religion so much more outside of whatever my mom or my dad or my auntie or my uncle thinks is religion. Um, when you realize your school, your private Muslim schools or private Christian schools are funded by specific churches with specific agendas and being like, what, what? Anyway, I felt gaslit. Um, I felt like it was like a whole new world when I realized uh, how that all worked out. Um, but with that being said, um, there was that aspect of it, realizing uh, institutions that I grew up in had agendas, you know, patriarchy historically has had agendas. And then as I explored the stories of queer Muslims throughout history, I know that, you know, the the prophet, there, you know, there was a story about how the this person was found out to be a muhannif. A muhannif is in Arabic translates roughly to a man who acts like a woman. Now in Islam, we're not oh not in Islam, in, in Arabic, we're not sure if that's a trans person or a gender non-conforming person or a, or a gay person, right? It's very vague language. But we know this is a queer person, right? And they were like, we should punish this person because they are more akhandas. And then the Prophet said, No, we should not. Why should we punish this person for not doing and, and culturally they had existed, you know, homophobia has existed everywhere. But um they say there's a story of that, there's a story of a muhandith who wasn't comfortable, who's Muhammad, who wasn't comfortable praying on the men's side, and they were said, I prefer praying on the women's side of the mosque, and they were allowed to pray on the women's side of the mosque. We know that Muhammad, who were homeless, who were poor, were given shelter in mosques from the beginning of Islam, from the first mosque we've ever had. Um, and so there's all these um, stories of, of the Muslim community accepting, embracing, and protecting queer people in its history. Um, and it's, it was shocking to me that I had like lived this whole life not knowing this. And I was a pretty studious Muslim kid. Um, and I was like, I, I know I know 10% of my religion. I remember thinking around that age, I'm like, I think I know so much about religion. I know, I know a, a, a fraction of a fraction. And a lot of that is because I haven't been told the truth. I haven't been given the opportunity to. So there's that, there's also the, famous stories of queer Muslim poets who have been writing gay poetry since the beginning of time. But I can say that queer Muslims have existed since the beginning of Islam, and that we were protected and we were uh, safe and that uh, we were a core part of the community. It's also like really um, um, 
fulfilling and empowering hearing all of this from you as well. Like I have a lot of cousins back home in Pakistan that are coming to this same understanding that you have um, had as well within your faith of um, detaching themselves from what they've just been taught and conditioned into. And um, it's, I don't know if social media is assisting them in that as well, or the new circles that they're keeping right now that they tell me about, but, you know, they're very much getting um, a part of this amazing movements happening in Pakistan right now around queer and trans rights and protection rights as well. And they push it so hard on their social medias as well. It's so staunch. It's so just, it's, 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 it's an ex, almost a bit of an exciting moment right now for this new generation coming through with the resources that are available or the more accessibility that you have to other um understandings mm. of yourself and your yeah, relationship no, definitely. to your I faith. Think, um, the thing of the trend I've been noticing as well is that queer Muslims are creating spaces for themselves. Like instead of looking for acceptance from yeah. community members or leaders or groups that condemn them on a daily basis, it's like, well, we're not looking for you to support us. We can create our own space. And when we create those spaces, we allow, we create a legacy for other queer Muslims to come and see and, and, and enjoy. And I think, um, yeah, it's it's amazing seeing that stuff happening in Pakistan, this, this stuff happening um, all over the world right now in regards to protections for queer people at the very least. Um, and I'm, ex I'm excited to see where we go. I know like, um, and there are all these like subcultures all over, and, and this, these subcultures have persisted since yeah, again, since the beginning of Islam, they've always had we've always had our safe spaces, um, and it's always good to see. It's always a good reminder to know. Um, in your work and art as well, how do you utilize that to speak to um, people that are having or navigating um, them confusing relationships um, to their queerness and their relationship to spirituality and faith? Mm. What's crazy, my first, the way I created my own queer community outside of all the work that I do was, I started performing queer, very explicit queer, queer poetry as an open Muslim. And um, I would meet people after shows who were like, I'm also queer yeah. and Muslim. That was amazing. <laughs> and um, it's, it was, my gateway to i needed to do it for myself i don't think people need to come out um plenty of people don't need to come out they live amazing lives never have to come out and that's a choice people can make for their own for themselves for me i want to do it because i had stories that i wanted to tell and i'm not going to do it as like i'm a straight muslim arab telling queer arab muslim stories and just looking very suspicious <laughs> I, it was for me it was very important that I would claim and take control over my own narrative in telling the stories of queer Muslims we get to humanize uh, ourselves and uh, empowered to let the world know what the queer Muslim experience is without demonizing queer people or demonizing Muslims or demonizing our, our cultures as well
Muhammad, we are nearing the end of our time together. We won't take up too much of your time, but um, it's been so amazing to hear these stories and hear you sharing this knowledge. But there is one question that we ask all our guests before we let them go. And that is, Muhammad, when did you realize there was power in your race? When it made me a more compassionate person. When... I found the humanity in being Arab and queer and Muslim when all those things intersected and I had more perspective than most people in my like young teenage world. And that was the moment for me, I would say, where I was like, oh, perspective, and in this case, be it race or queerness or religion is powerful because I, queerness is no longer a uh, a theory or an idea, um, or it's a sort of being Arab isn't a theory or idea, it's an experience. So I'm just, I'm just trying to have as much compassion as I can for people. Oh, I love that answer. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's beautiful. You are a poet. That was lovely. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. That was amazing. That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Darren Lasagas. Thank you to our incredible guests for today, poet, artist, writer, and mental health worker and advocate, Muhammad Awad, for sharing his knowledge and stories today. You can listen back to episodes of Race Matters at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters. 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 Race matters.